Sharing your story about success definitely has a long-term impact. When it comes to tissue and organ donation, sharing my health journey and what my life has looked like and how impactful that donation was to me, I wouldn't be able to be a CEO doing really awesome things if I can't get out of bed. That's Tiffany Mathis, a tissue donor recipient and now a donation advocate who gets out of bed every morning with something positive to say about it. I'm Marian Shuck, your host for Let's Talk Hope, a podcast devoted to sharing stories and turning tragedies into triumphs. Tiffany, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Let's Talk Hope. So tell me a little bit about your journey as a tissue recipient. Back in, oh, I'd say between like 2013 to 2015, my back was horrible. Like I was on a walker at different points in time, kind of bedridden at different points in time. And so what the cause of all of that was, was that my L4, L5 disc was herniated. And so it just kind of got worse and worse. And so I went through different rehab and things for my back, um, had weight loss surgery, actually, just because that was something I wanted to do for myself to get healthy my back kind of continued to get worse. And luckily, because I had had weight loss surgery, the particular surgeon that I had told me like, I need your BMI to be down by like 40 or something like that so that it reduces the risk of infection. So I went to Dr. William Payne here in Springfield, a Springfield clinic who's phenomenal. And I had a spinal fusion surgery in 2016. Um, And so obviously part of that procedure is receiving cadaver bone from a donor, tissue from a donor. So went very well, um, was able to walk and, you know, over time healed and, you know, just got better and better and was able to walk without pain because every day was just horrible, not ever knowing if you're going to get out of bed or not or what the pain level was going to be. I was on a lot of medication to kind of deal with the pain in my back prior to having surgery. And so one of the things that was really important to me as I was healing up was like made this kind of promise to the universe that if, you know, I healed well and was able to just move around and do what I needed to do with no pain, that I would never sit down again. I would continue to like be of service to my community in any way that I could. So, you know, having a donor provide that, the bone and tissue that I needed for my back has been the reason why I've been able to do anything at this point, um, which is a lot of things. So I'm very grateful for that procedure because it gave me my life back. That sounds great. And congratulations. Can you tell us what led you to even needing uh, the spinal fusion and uh, tissue donation in the first place? You know, some people have different illnesses that run through their family that are genetic. And in my family, it's bone and back issues. So just about every woman in my family at some point in time has had to have a spinal fusion surgery. Mine happened very early on in my life. So I was, I think, maybe 31 when I had that done. Over time, you know, just I had something called degenerative disc disease. So just makes the discs in my back that are, you know, between the your vertebrae and your spine it makes them become a little bit more degraded faster than others. So I knew at some point that it was going to be an issue in my surgeon, you know, and I had talked about, you know, what we could do to maybe keep it from turning into that, but my back just got way too bad, way too quick. And so, um, you know, we had a conversation and he was like, I think that this is the best avenue for us to go. 
I always have a 10% chance of having to go back and having a different fusion done somewhere else on my spine, but um, that's what led me to having that surgery. So we spent a great deal of time talking, like I said, because I was young um, and then came to the conclusion that this was how I needed to move forward so that I could get my life back. As you talk about it being hereditary, were you having to have the bone density scannings quite often so you could monitor the progress? Um, I had a lot of MRIs done of my back just because if you don't address a herniated disc in enough time, like if you let it go too long, your spine can kind of slip on itself. But with insurance and different things, there's certain formalities you have to go through. So I went through physical therapy. I had multiple spinal injections, similar, I guess, to like an epidural. Uh, You go in, give you the shot, and it would provide me a great deal of relief down that nerve, um, that sciatic nerve. So I had to kind of exhaust all of those avenues of addressing my back issue before moving forward with the spinal fusion surgery. And so luckily for me, you know, because the, the, of the bone and the tissue donation that I received, my body accepted it very well. And my vertebrae, that L4, L5 area is completely fused. And uh, I go back once a year just to get my back um, x-rayed to make sure everything's in alignment and, and continuing to look good. Can you tell me about uh, the spine itself? Can you tell me about the vertebrae and L4s and L5s? Because I'm not aware of that. I know we have the spine, but a lot of folks in the community are like, one, we don't talk about tissue donation uh, in communities of color, but two, you're talking about L4, L5. You know, Can you help us understand what that means? Um, so the L4, L5 area is, I believe, stand, the L stands for lumbar. So that's your like lower lumbar area, your lower back. So this would be uh, where my surgery took place would be kind of in front of, if you were looking at the front of the body, it'd be like right in front of your pelvis area, but from behind. So it's a pretty, it's pretty low into the back. Um, so that's where my fusion took place. But the the spine is labeled, um, I think, you know, L1 through L whatever, and then S1, which is up higher into your back, into your neck. How did you advocate for yourself and how did you help them see you and see your pain? I know that my doctor works for me and that's how I approach that relationship. And if I don't feel like I got the answer I needed or you're not taking me seriously, I'll talk to your boss. I'll find another doctor. I will do whatever I need to do because I want to live and I want to take care of myself. And I also can appreciate that when you are, you know, a doctor or a nurse, you're seeing so many people every day. Sometimes you have to also work on seeing each patient with a fresh pair of eyes the same way we try to see each kid we serve here with a fresh pair of eyes, you know. So that's kind of a two-way street there on getting people to hear you and to see you. But I feel very empowered to make sure that someone takes care of me properly and I ask questions and I read over you know, my patient summary when they see me to make sure that what happened happened on on paper. Or if I have questions about something, I always read my surgical reports after surgery to see what they said, what they found. Um, Because sometimes there are things that don't seem significant that they'll say, and, and maybe they're not a big deal, but I just want clarity to understand, okay, so when you typed this, what does that mean? Or I'll Google it and look it up. So um, I've also just been fortunate to have some really great healthcare practitioners that I have come across. Uh, my dad went to the same back surgeon 
um, because he's had multiple back surgeries as well. And uh, he had a really great experience and that's who I chose to see. And he's wonderful. Uh, he, his bedside manner is great. He's one of those surgeons. It's like, listen, I'm not going to cut on you if I don't need to. So let's also make sure that we've done everything, our due diligence, to make sure this isn't a procedure that you need. And I appreciate that. A nugget I took away from your last comments was quality of life. Uh, in advocacy, you want to get to a point where if you're in pain, if there's something wrong, if you have a cancer diagnosis or you know some other diagnosis, chronic illness. You want to have a quality of life, a good quality of life. And how would you help other folks in the community to advocate for that good quality of life? Because as you mentioned, we've got the mistrust. We show up at the doctor too late and then our situation is more dire than it could have been if we were seeking uh, proper medical care and if we were heard. How would you ask folks from other minority communities um, to really advocate for themselves and to be heard and seen by their healthcare professional? Um, I think it's very important to share stories and be transparent. So I think, you know, even on the weight loss, weight loss surgery aspect, there are a lot of brown and black folks that are having weight loss surgery, but they're not talking about it. And they're just kind of showing the highlights of them working out. And it looks like they've lost all this weight naturally. When you don't tell people about things that you've done to save your own life, to uh, add the quality of your life, to become more healthy, when you're not sharing those stories, you're not dispelling any of the um, myths or horror stories that people are hearing. You know, So if there's not enough positive experiences being talked about, then you have more space for those kind of negative interactions to be louder for everybody. You know, there's a lot of unwritten rules in our community about sharing information and medical history and background, because if something happens, if someone had breast cancer diagnosis, if someone had mental illness, we'll just shoo it under the rug, right? Like, oh, you know, for my grandmother, I will tell you this, um, and I didn't know when I was little that she had diabetes, but she wouldn't say that she had diabetes or she had a chronic illness when I would see her and we would rub her feet and we would rub her hair, she said, oh, baby, I just have the touch of the sugar, right? I, I just have a little bit of sugar. And because we don't share, to your point, it makes it very difficult to share these stories with other folks because they don't believe. How have you been able to utilize your story in sharing to really have people understand tissue donation? Well, again, it's taking opportunities like this to speak about my experience. I have partnered in different ways with the medical facilities that have supported me. Um, you know, my weight loss program that I went through, um, when they needed someone to speak on their podcast or to come talk to a support group or to use me in some of the marketing, like I try to find any way I can to become visible and to really highlight and uplift programs that I've been through that have been, you know, really life-changing for me. And when it comes to tissue and organ donation, again, just kind of sharing my health journey and what my life has looked like and how impactful that donation was to me. And the fact that, I mean, I wouldn't be able to be a CEO doing really awesome things if, it, if I can get out of bed. So, you know, that really what changed my whole trajectory and what I was able to do and kind of listening to others. And I serve a lot of kids and families. 
So, you know, sometimes I'll overhear something and because we have the rapport with one another, we've built relationships over the years, it makes it a lot easier to talk to them to say, hey, did you know that this resource exists? Or, hey, I noticed that you're limping. Have you gone to the doctor? What are they saying? Um, And then giving them some tools if they don't feel like they're getting the answers they need to go back and, and get a second opinion or, you know, support them in seeking other options for their health care. So there's a lot of ways that I try to serve others by providing my story and being transparent about what that looks like. That sounds good. And thank you for saying that. But you mentioned weight loss and, you know, in weight loss and organ donation as well, that has been a precursor to sort of keep people from being on the list. Did you find that when they said uh, you needed to have a BMI of 40, that that was a challenge in that it might stop you from being able to have the tissue transplant? Or were you just like, gung-ho, I'm in so much pain, I'm going to do whatever it takes to have this better quality of life? Well, I had already had, I had had weight loss surgery May of 2015, I did that for myself because I was 348 pounds. I was tired of being overweight. I was pre-diabetic and I'm like, I'm not going to live the rest of my life like this. Like, this is not what I want for myself. I want to be healthy. I want to be able to run around with my kids. I want to sit on an airplane seat and not need a seatbelt extender. I want to be able to cross my legs, like simple things that other people take for granted. So that was something that I intentionally did for myself. I had started that program in January of 2015 right after I'd had my daughter. So by the time I had my consultation about spinal fusion being the option, that would have been November of 2015. So when he was like, hey, we need to wait for your BMI to at least be at 40 before you can have the surgery. My BMI at the time was like 42. So I knew, okay, well, cool. So probably in the next four or five months, my BMI will already be down to where it needs to be because I was actively in my, you know, weight loss stage of dropping weight. So I just knew it was a matter of time. Had I not had weight loss surgery and I had to work out to get to, like if I had to really, really work out to get to that, it would have most definitely been a barrier for me because my body, when I dieted, when I worked out pre-weight loss surgery, never really responded well. So I might only lose 14 pounds. So that BMI of 40 getting to it really could have taken me a year, you know, and I couldn't have gone through that. Yeah. And so what's your quality of life like now? I can wear high heels again. That's important. That's important. (laughs) I can run. I can stand for long periods of time. I can sleep comfortably. I can sit comfortably. I'm no longer on pain medication. And I was taking a lot of pain medication just to take the edge off of the pain so that I could move around and do what I needed to do. Um, I also had another child a couple years ago, and that was fine. Um, my back is still intact and still doing well after that. So, you know, I, I'm, I can work out in a way that I wasn't able to before. So I'm, I'm not really limited. I am protective of my back, so I don't go out of my way to go roller skating or anything where I could, you know, really fall and hurt myself. But um, my quality of life is great when it comes to my mobility. Like, it's it's wonderful. I go swimming. I do all kinds of things. So it's been wonderful. As we talk about tissue, one of the things that's an opportunity for an organ donor and for tissue donors as well, but it's just not as prevalent, is the idea of writing to your donor to let them know how they have changed 
your life so incredibly, how they have it saved or enhanced your life as the way your life has been enhanced by being able to get your mobility back and to be able to get that quality of life. Has that been something uh, that was offered to you that you could write your donor family and let them know how your life has changed? Um, I actually didn't even realize that I was a tissue recipient until um, I met Tina with um, with your organization and we were talking and uh, when we initially met and I was, you know, we we're just kind of telling each other about each other. And she's like, oh, so you're a tissue recipient. And I was like, I am. I guess I am. So I really didn't even view myself that way because, you know, during the surgical procedure, it wasn't presented that way. It was just hey, this is how, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to use. Um, again, the, the term cadaver bone was more so what was said to me, not so much, hey, we have a tissue recipient. And this is the tissue that we're going to use to put inside you. This is how it will work. And also if you want to write your donor family, you can. Like, I don't even know who donated to me yet. Um, it's something I, I just haven't had a chance to really explore, but it would be awesome if that information just honestly came with the procedure, you know, and was just like readily available. And I know sometimes that takes a lot of partnership and like hoops to jump through. I would love to know who they were because that changed my whole life. I always caution people because I'm a donor wife. And I lost my husband in 2019. And so in, in some of uh, his folks um, who are tissue recipients wrote me, uh, his cornea recipients wrote me and, and my daughter. And I was just so amazed because I've worked at Gift of Hope 13 years and I didn't know when my tissue recipient for my husband who died in 2019 wrote me. Um, at first I was like, uh, I don't want to write back because I was just in so much pain. But then I felt like, you know what, you need to write back because you have changed this woman's life. And she told me that, that she was able to see again, she was able to drive again. And so I was very honored to be able to write back. And so I encourage you to not think that, oh, it's not something that can happen because it can happen. And, uh, uh, she had a similar story to mine. You know, her husband, she lost her husband and she had a daughter who was her primary caregiver. And so that just gave us common ground. And so uh, I'm so excited for you to be able to, one, have your quality of life back. But more importantly, you know, at some point, be able to write your donor family and just express how well you're doing. So as we wrap up, are there any lasting comments that you'd like to make to our listening audience to help them, one, understand your journey, but two, you know, I think this has been incredible because you've had a journey, you advocated for yourself, and now you have the quality of life that you always wanted. What would be your closing remarks to that? My closing remarks are to, you know, I obviously will always pay it forward and encourage my children to be organ and tissue donors, and God forbid, you know, anything would ever happen to them, I would readily give that up if it would be helpful to another child's life or my giving of my own tissue and organs to save someone else or help improve the quality of life for someone else, because that's really what it's about and really understanding the impact that you can have on a family. Um, And you, you never know how that feels until it happens to you or you have a loved one that's in need of an organ or, you know, whatever they need and watching your loved one kind of go through that journey of waiting. So I think that always just paying that forward, paying kindness forward, paying 
that forward is the one thing that we can do for each other as human beings is to give of ourselves in that way. I, you know, I'm very, very grateful for the gift that I received. And I, you know, hope the listening audience knows, like, I am just grateful. My kids have a active, fun mom and I'm able to walk around and I don't take any of that for granted. And I run around like crazy and I'm doing a million bazillion things because I made a promise that that's what I would do with this extended time I have on this earth in not hurting anymore. So I, it was life-changing for me. People will never really understand how painful it is to have back and bone issues because it's not something that you can really see on someone. So when we're complaining about how bad we hurt, people are kind of like, oh, okay, it, it hurts a lot. It, it really, really hurts a lot. And it takes a toll on your mental health to constantly be in a pain you can't address. So again, just my gra- my gratitude to my donor family and to, you know, obviously having a really amazing surgeon and, and just grateful to even be on this call today um, to talk about my experience and share it with others. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, because, you know, when I started working for Gift of Hope, my daughter was nine and my husband and I had the conversation with her about organ and tissue donation and people were appalled. Like, why would you have that conversation with a nine-year-old? And I realized, my husband realized that our nine-year-old was our legal next of kin, right? If something happened to us, she had to make that decision. So to ha- to have the conversation and the ability to say yes to donation, what you so beautifully said, is that's a conversation that although we don't want to have that conversation and we don't want to think about anything happening to our children, uh, it's a conversation that has to be had. So I thank you for saying yes to the conversation of donation. I'm so excited for the life that you will continue to have as a tissue recipient. And I thank you for being here today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you again so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Hope. We encourage you to start the conversation today about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones and make your wishes known. You can register to become a donor on giftofhope.org. Hello, Tina Montgomery, Supervisor Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Daily, I'm asked a host of questions about the donation process and how it works. So we've added those questions to our big wheel, and we're going to answer them right now to the audience. So let's give the wheel a big spin. Alrighty, it's going around pretty fast here. We've landed on question number five. So question number five is, what organs and tissues are needed most? Oh boy, this is so wonderful. But most people waiting for the transplants needs corneas and kidneys. Those are the two highly needed organs. However, Hearts, lungs, livers offer the greatest potential to save people's lives. Thank you so much for taking the time and sending in your questions. We're going to add more questions to the big wheel, and we look forward to talking to you at the next episode of Let's Talk Hope. If you like what you've heard today, we hope that you will listen again wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Let's Talk Hope was produced by Rivet, and if you'd like to hear more great podcasts, please visit rivet360.com.